Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. I want to I'm going to share a few minutes with you about our calling as God's people. Matthew chapter 10, the Gospel of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. If you need help finding that, go to the table of contents and look for the number. It's page 821. So have you noticed uh, lately, or have you, have you recognized lately the importance of bridges Just by show of hands, how many of you in this room, your life has been seriously impacted by a bridge? Anybody? Talk about a pain, right? Not only has it added time to your life or taken away time from your life, but it's also added confusion. It's also added an element of danger. It's added a, 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 a frustration that is really unnecessary. All because Marge the Barge... All 22 marges decided to float willy-nilly wherever they wanted to go. You know, I was thinking about how disrupted our life was because of this bridge. And then a few other events in the last couple of weeks have made me think of it too. And I'm going to get back to the, the, the acts. I'm going to go back to um, acts here in a couple of weeks. But I wanted to, I wanted to kind of wrap up where, where I've taken you the last couple of weeks with a with a a very practical challenge of how to live life. The first week, two weeks ago, we talked about where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. And that we're not supposed to treasure treasure, right? We're not supposed to be in love with the things that that are gold and silver. We're not supposed to, to spend our life building up treasures on earth because moth and rust destroy and thieves can break in and steal. And then last week, we talked about the unplowed ground in your heart. What are the areas of your life that God has blessed you with? God has given to you, um, and he wants to flourish in your life there, but, but you just haven't taken the time to plow the ground and done the hard work of saying, you know what, I'm going to deal with this, this rocky, hard ground, and I'm going to put it in a place where God can plant good stuff in it. And of course, part of unplowed ground is the recognition of sin, unrepentant sin, right? Today, though, I want to I show you what, we're supposed to be as God's people. We can either be wall builders or bridge builders. A wall builder is one who separates people. A wall builder is one who keeps people away. And we build walls for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes to keep people out, sometimes to keep people in. Church, in a lot of ways is good about building walls if we're not thinking outside of the walls because we can do things that we enjoy and we like and we can plan this this holy shindig just for us, right? But that's not who the church is supposed to be. We were never intended to build walls. We were intended to build bridges. A bridge builder is one who sees a great chasm between people. It could be individuals, it could be groups, it could be a person and God, but there's a chasm, there's a vast separation between the two entities, the two parties, and a bridge builder says, I am going to help make peace between the two. 
As the people of God, we are people who are called to make peace. Let me say it differently. We are people who were called to be people of peace. In Matthew, Jesus, beginning the Sermon on the Mount, he said, look, I'm going to tell you a few attitudes you're supposed to have. Let me help you understand the way your heart is supposed to be, the, the content of your character. One of those things was, blessed are the peacemakers. A peacemaker is not somebody who simply brings two sides together. A peacemaker is somebody who builds a bridge so that truth can be the centerpiece of that relationship. We should never seek peace at the expense of truth. Can I get an amen? We should never just compromise to bring people together. It's not about compromise. It's about truth. And it's about restoring things the way that they were intended to be. And I'll show that to you in the scripture. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. The scripture tells us, as far as it depends on us, we're to be at peace with everyone, right? It's our job to bring peace. What is peace? Peace is not an absence, necessary an absence of conflict. Peace is a stillness, a recognition that there's something greater than that conflict. That's how you and I can be in a great conflict in our life and yet still be at peace. And so as peacemakers, as bridge builders... Our responsibility is to be in the world, not of the world, but while we're in the world, we are building bridges between warring parties or between broken relationships, broken people. And again, it could be two people, it could be two groups of people, it could be a person and their creator. Matthew chapter 10, let me share this with you. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, He called His twelve disciples to Him... And he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and sickness. So notice, he called his 12 to them. There's an intentionality about this passage. Jesus essentially said to himself, okay, now it's time for me to send you guys out. So gather up little chicks, right? He said, come here. He, he's the coach or the, the, the team manager who says, all right, gather around, come to the mound, right? In a baseball game and the Braves are losing. Oh, did I say that out loud? Apparently they're not anymore. I don't even follow them anymore, but that used to be the... Matter of fact, somebody once said, you know what Michael Jackson and the Atlanta Braves both have in common? They all wear one glove for no apparent reason. Really? <laughs> Thank you. So... I, that, that, I just went, I went way deep for that one, guys. Sorry. So he, the, the coach pulls the team together and says, all right, let me remind you of our purpose. Here's the plan. Here's the play. That's what Jesus was doing. He called the team together, all 12 of them, and they were gathered around, and he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm giving you authority over every kind of sickness and over every kind of disease, Every kind, meaning all authority. There's nothing that would be outside of the bounds of them being able to deal with. This is important because sometimes we feel like as believers, we only have partial authority. No, if we're under the lordship of Jesus Christ, his authority is our authority. And so he says to his apostles, to his 12 disciples here, he says, I'm giving you authority and as I give you authority, I'm also giving you a commission. Now, before he gives the commission, 
in verse 2 and in verse 3 and in verse 4, Matthew decides to list the disciples. Now, it's easy for us just to skip over this. We're not going to skip over it. We're just going to make a point and then move on because we don't have the time to go through everything here. But I want you to listen to this. He names the disciples. He said, these are the names of the 12 apostles. Simon, who is called Peter. His brother Andrew, John, uh, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and he keeps on going down the list. Why is that important? Because if you take each of these disciples individually, what you will find is a really jacked up group of guys. Starting with Simon Peter. In fact, Simon Peter is, is a dysfunctional name, really. Because he wasn't acting like a Peter, a rock. He was acting like a Simon, right? I mean, if you go back and you look at his life, he was somewhat hot-tempered. He was somewhat quick to do things without thinking. He was a guy who took things by the, by the horns. He had a guy who, who had trouble submitting to authority. I mean, he had all of these issues going on in his life. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, known as the sons of thunder, now that would be a cool name. If I had two more kids, I'd name them the Sons of Thunder, just because I could. Actually, my wife would overrule that. She overruled every other kid, so that why, why would this be different, right? Not really. We kind of work together on that. So, so if you look at the names of these people, though, and if you look at their stories, what we know about them is that they were all incomplete people. And when I say incomplete, I mean they all had parts of themselves that were not right. They all had character flaws. They all had brokenness. They all had a past and a history. And yet Jesus took these 12 imperfect people, the most unlikely of, of, of men to be in one group together. I mean, I've said this before, but you've got fishermen, you've got a tax collector, you've got um, a, a zealot, you've got Judas, I mean, these guys would never hang out with each other. You wouldn't go uh, to, to a place and find these 12 just naturally friends. It, it, he chose people that were different. He chose people that would rub each other the wrong way. He put them in a room and he said, okay, you guys are now my team. Do, do you see a picture of the church here? I mean, as the church, we're not all alike, thankfully. Could you imagine a church full of me? That would be horrible, right? We'd have a whole lot of ideas, though. It'd be great, but it'd be horrible. I couldn't imagine my own family of five without the five unique personalities that we have. I was going to tell you a story, but I won't. Just, just take a moment and imagine the story I would have told you and be satisfied. So this group of 12 he calls them to himself, and he says to them, you have the authority that is mine. I'm conferring that to you. And then the next verse, verse 5, he sends them out with the following instructions. He sends them out, and he says, don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. 
He sends them to a specific group of people, to a specific people, to a specific place. Now, I want to back up just a second and make this clarification. We have to be careful that we don't build a theology out of a verse or a passage if, if we haven't looked at the rest of the scripture. Because if we're not careful, we can take one passage of scripture or one verse, one, one story in scripture and go, okay, this is the full picture of what God wants to teach me on this. And that is a poor, what's called biblical hermeneutic. Yeah? A hermeneutic is the way that we will interpret the scripture. And you can't just interpret it any way that you want, because if you do that, then there are no rules that are consistent enough to help you find the actual interpretation. Does this make sense? So there's a way that you interpret Scripture. One of the ways that you interpret Scripture is you always interpret Scripture in light of the rest of the Scripture. So, for instance, if you look at this and you, and you make a theology out of this passage, chapter 10, what you will come up with, among some other things, is we're supposed to go out and heal every disease and every sickness. We're supposed to go out and cast out every demon we're supposed to go out and we can never carry a money bag. We cannot have any gold, silver, or copper. We're supposed to go out and not have any plans at all. Just go out, stay wherever we stay. And, and we can develop a, a theology from that that's wrong. Does that make sense? And how do we know that? Because the rest of the scripture balances that out. So we go back and we say, so is, is there a specific reason for Jesus doing this right here? And, it, and there is a reason. There's a specific reason for him telling them this, but there's also a general principle or a general precept, if you will, of, of how it applies to our life. And here's the reason he's sending them out. Up until this point, Jesus showed them what they're supposed to be doing. This is the first time he's actually sending them out on their own for them to, to practice what they're supposed to be doing. And because he's sending them out, he's narrowing it down and he's, he's, he's making some teachable moments. And here's the overall purpose of the teaching. I have called you, I am sending you, and I am going to be your provider. Basically, he's teaching them how to, how to live and to minister by faith. That's, that's really the whole purpose. And so, while specifically to them, he's saying, go only to the Gentiles, or, or go only to the Jews, don't go to the Gentiles, it's because he's narrowing the scope, and for this moment, he's saying, this is your group, this is the people that you're to go to. Now, if we really wanted to get into it, we'd find some practical reasons that he said that, one of which is, the gospel wasn't for the Gentiles at this point. I mean, it, it was for them, but, but he, was, he was sent to Israel first. He was the Messiah that they were waiting for. And if he went out and he was the Messiah to the Gentiles before he fulfilled his purpose with the Jews, the Jews would have rejected him even more so than they did even at the point. So you see, Jesus was, was not excluding Gentiles. He was just saying for right here and for right now, this is your people. But we know that the Gentiles were part of the deal because we know that in Acts, Peter was told, hey, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Get up. It basically, that whole story with Cornelius was about 
the gospel to the Gentiles, right? And then Paul had, had the same, same idea. He said, look, i got to go and preach the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what Jesus said. Bring it back to here, okay? Jesus gave them a specific people. I think there is a principle here, though. And I think the principle that, that, that we see here is this. Nobody is going to build a bridge for everybody. If you are a jack of all trades... You are a master of none. There's nobody who's going to win everybody. There's nobody who's going to build a bridge in every domain of life. But every one of us is being sent, and I would even say has been sent, to a domain of life to be a bridge builder. The question is, do you recognize to whom you've been sent? It doesn't mean you don't care about the rest of the world. It doesn't mean you don't care about other problems and issues. It just means that God has specifically placed in your heart this passion for this particular realm or domain of life. He sends them to the Jews, and when he does so, hear the words, as you go, preach this message. So he gives them a place... And he gives them a message. Here's the message. He said, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's pretty simple, ain't it? The kingdom of heaven is near. What does that mean? So, in order to understand the message, we have to understand what God made in the first place. If you go all the way back to Genesis, God made the heavens and the earth. Everything about his creation was perfect because after he made each part of creation, what did he say? It is good. Perfecto. He said, you look marvelous. That's what he says, what the Hebrew says. He said, it is good. It is good. Now, one time did he go, oops, by the way, that's what you do not want to hear Dennis say. Oops. He said it is good. And so he made this perfect kingdom. And then guess what? He made Adam and Eve and he gave them dominion over that kingdom. He said, I'm your God, but you are going to have authority. You're going to have dominion here, right? He said, I want you to do anything you want to do, but... Stay away from this one particular place. Don't do this. Everything else is yours. And of course, we know the story, right? So there was a kingdom that was marred. There was an introduction of sin, of brokenness. And this is the introduction of death. This is the introduction of shame. This is the introduction of guilt. This is the introduction of, uh, of, of, uh, of murder. This is the introduction of lying and stealing and cheating. When God created uh, the earth, he didn't introduce any of that to it. But man decided they would go against what God said, and they ruined everything. Think of it this way. There was a great earthquake, and that put a huge chasm between God and man. God was walking through the cool of the garden one day. So Adam... Adam, where are you? And Adam goes, Eve, Eve, he's coming. So 
So they went and they hid. Now they had already put on some clothes that they made out of, out of leaves, out of vegetation. They were hiding. Adam! Oh, we're over here. Why are you hiding? Uh, because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Uh, she made me do it. Here, here's, here's a principle that's true to this day. It started in the Garden of Eden. You know what our response to sin is every single time? We hide, we cover, and we blame. We hide, we cover, and we blame. Why? Because we recognize that we're not who God made us. We recognize there's a brokenness there. And so because of that brokenness, we also recognize there's a great chasm. If you remember in the story, that's when they were kicked out of the garden. So when Jesus said, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near, here's what he was saying. He was saying the Messiah, the Savior, the one who will bring peace in the midst of turmoil, the one who will restore what has been broken, the one who will heal that which is sick is near. Do you see what he was saying? He was saying, I am sending you out to build bridges for broken people. I'm sending you out to recognize where the gulfs and where the gaps are, where the chasms are, and you are going to go out and you are going to help join and make peace between warring parties. He says, look, verse 8, heal the sick. That's a chasm between the well and the sick. If you are sick physically, you know very well what kind of chasm that is, right? If you are terminally sick, or if you are uh, chronically sick, I guess would be the better way, then you constantly live every single day with a body that's not working right. And that is so hard and so difficult and so painful in many ways. He said, heal the sick. He said, raise the dead. That's a recognition that there's a chasm between life and death. You know, the, the, the scripture tells us that when Jesus came, he was light in the darkness. You ever tried to walk through your house in the dark? And somebody came and changed the furniture? It's hard, isn't it? Because without light, you just bump into stuff. You get all kinds of bruises and scars. He said, cleanse those who have leprosy. That's a recognition that there's a chasm between the unclean and the clean. Now, let me tell you about if you had leprosy. In Jesus' day, if you had leprosy, you weren't just uh, in, inflicted with a skin disease. You were a social outcast. You were a person who could not be around the rest of the community. And it's not like they had Facebook or, or, or social media that they could keep up with what's going on with their neighbors. No, they would have been isolated, and they would have been lonely, and they would have been rejected. And the more religious a person got, the more rejection they would have given because the more religious you got, the more holy you became, and you would recognize that you would not want to mar your own holiness by being in the presence of someone with leprosy. 
That's why when Jesus met the leper and touched him, it shocked everybody. (gasps) Are you really who you say you are? Don't you know you're not allowed to touch leprosy? There was a great chasm there. He said, drive out demons. There's a chasm between the the whole and the, uh, the insane, or the sane and the insane. Interesting thing about those who were oppressed by demons, I'm sure it happened some, but I don't get the sense in any of Scripture that people actually said, you know what I think I want to do today? I think today I want to be infested by a demon. I think more likely what happened was a demon found an object of opportunity and inserted himself into that person in a way that destroyed their very lives. Much the way an addiction does today. Do you know that an addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs, a different, an addiction to any of those things that cause our, our, to cause us to numb the pain a little bit is an addiction that most people with, not only don't, do they oftentimes not realize there's an addiction, but if they do, they oftentimes won't even have any clue of how they can stop it. Now, sure, they might say, oh, I can handle this, but, but I think deep down inside they know, I can't fix this. I kind of got a glimpse of what that means to be an addict this week. Let me tell you why. You're, now you're going, huh? What? See, last week, I felt something funny on my back tooth. And what it was, was a couple years ago, I had a, a cavity on the side of my tooth. And so I went to my wonderful dentist, and he drilled it out, and he filled it with a new part of a tooth. Well, last week, somehow or another, I was chewing and I realized, ooh, there's a hole in my tooth. And I knew it was a problem because my, my tooth suddenly became alive, right? I could feel everything cold, everything sweet, and it was like, ooh, I got to get this fixed. So I went to my dentist and I told my dentist, I said, look, there's a problem. He goes, yep, there's a problem. Come back Thursday, which was a couple days ago. So I showed up and I walked in. And the ladies at the front desk, you're very friendly. Hey, so glad to see you. I'm not glad to see you. I said, don't take it personally, but I do not want to be here. Because the moment I stopped, the moment I parked at this dentist office, I had this wave of realization that I was about to experience pain. I don't like pain. In fact, I was built to be allergic to pain. I often joke with Shannon, if it was my responsibility to have children, we'd be childless. Pretty sure the world would be childless if men were supposed to have children, actually. So I said, I'm not happy to be here. Fortunately, my dentist knows me. As I walk in, he goes, Mr. Spoonie Barger, sit right here. Let's get you started. I sat down, and within moments, he had headphones on my head, and he had a mask over my face, and he cranked that puppy up. I had just enough time to turn the music on and up. I, took, I did classic 80s rock and roll. I figured Van Halen is what I need right now. <laughs> Actually, I just wanted it loud and confusing. That's all I I did not want to hear. Right? And as I was sitting there, listening to the music, I had this overwhelming sense of, I don't care. Because the gas was working. Now, just backstep a little bit. One thing you might know about me is I'm pretty cheap. I don't like spending money. 
When the doctor said, hey, it's going to cost you an extra 60 bucks or 80 bucks or whatever for the gas, will it help? You won't feel a thing. Do it. Charge me 500. I don't care. I'll give you my firstborn. Fine. If you, if you take away the pain, I am good to go. Amen? So I'm in this chair, this mask is going on, and I'm, I'm literally feeling myself go into a whole nother reality. And the music just comes alive. I'm playing air guitar in the chair. I am not joking. They actually, I think, when I come to do this procedure, they, they, they bring people in just to video. There's got to be a YouTube somewhere. Because the doctor tells me, you are so fun when you're, when you're on this stuff. But as, as the, and, and you know what? He started the procedure, and I was like, hey, you okay out there? I'm doing really good. I mean, I'm, I'm literally having a good time while he's doing stuff. And I had this thought. I thought, you know what? Now I get it. Now I get it. All of my fear was gone. All of my anxiety was gone. The pain was nothing. And in that moment, it was as if I heard the voice of God saying, don't be so harsh on people who have addictions. Because it's simply a symptom of a brokenness inside of them that they're trying to have a a small bit of relief from. I'm not, I am not, obviously I'm not saying addictions. I'm saying there's a reason that people do what they do. Amen? There's a reason members of our family, friends of ours, neighbors, people we work with come in the way that they do. There's a reason that some people are mad all of the time. There's a reason that people come in and they always have the smell of alcohol on their breath. There's a reason that people do things uh, sexually that, that just you, you sit and you go, can you even post that and be proud of it? And the reason is that it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a marred view or it's a marred reality of the kingdom of God. And here's the point. Jesus said, go into the world and do what I do with all of the people who find a chasm between being sick and being well. And you be a bridge. You build a bridge. Jesus was saying to his disciples, they can't find me on their own. Obviously, God can do whatever he wants, but do you know that God's choice mode of operation is to send you into me, to send me? The reason you are where you are in terms of work Maybe because God has sent you to that group and that people to build bridges. The reason you are where you are in your family, the reason you're, you're the only one that's not the crazy uncle, of course, I'm probably the crazy uncle in mine, is because there's somebody there that God has placed there as salt and as light and to build bridges. What I want you to see this morning is very simple. I believe that all of Scripture can be, can be wrapped up in one simple concept. And that is, we live in a broken kingdom. But Jesus, as the king of that kingdom, 
desires restoration and wholeness. And his means of doing that is to take his own people, restore them, and while he's restoring them, he sends them out to show others this is what God has done. Leanna, Leanna, I think that's why I called on you earlier. Because you are this sermon. You're not perfect yet, but you're also not who you used to be. And the enemy would want to use your past to shame you, but you reject that and you say, no, it's not a shame. It's a testimony to my own need and the goodness and the glory of God. Amen? Does anybody else have a testimony of the goodness of glory and the glory of God? Anybody? Show me your hand. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And I would imagine if you look in the mirror, you probably wouldn't go, yeah, look at me. No, you probably look in the mirror and still wrestle with this is who I used to be. But thank God, this is who I'm becoming. Here's what Jesus said, or here's what the scripture says. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God doesn't start something he doesn't intend to finish. If you look through the rest of the scripture, we don't have the the time uh, to go through all of it, but, but, I, but I wanted you to get a sense that the disciples were broken people in a broken world, and God says, but the kingdom of heaven is near. Here's a, here's a recognition, though, that, that we need to have because Jesus very clearly taught his, his disciples this. Verse 17, be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it is... For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Jesus is describing a difficult battle in building a bridge. He's describing not an easy road, but a tough road that's uphill with a lot of naysayers and a lot of, a lot of people who are, who are even trying to sabotage the bridge. So if you're expecting a life without struggle, your expectations are not biblical. And they're certainly not realistic. No, you need to expect that not everybody wants a bridge. You need to expect that not, not everybody wants anybody else to have a bridge. In 19, or excuse me, 1851, John A. Roebling was commissioned to carry out a vision that he and only a few other people had. See, Roebling was asked to build a bridge across the Niagara Falls, essentially joining two countries together to where trade could happen. It was initially the idea of a Canadian uh, politician. I guess he thought it was good for his election campaign. One particular bridge builder by the name of Ellis tried but failed, and so Roebling took on the job. And everybody said it's not possible. Why? Because it's 825 feet from shore to shore. Why? Because the depth of this gorge is way too deep to build a bridge the way we build bridges. Why? Because you've got all kinds of engineering nightmares. And Roebling said, you know what? I think it's possible. I believe this is my calling. So they started by flying a kite across the gorge 
825 feet. Now, I was trying to imagine how this worked because I've seen me fly a kite and it didn't turn out pretty. What kind, of, what kind of skill do you have to do to fly a kite over 800 feet and then to fly it across and then land it on the other side? But that's what they did. When it landed on the other side, they took and they tied a little bit larger string and pulled it across. Then they tied a larger string and pulled it the other way. And they pulled it back and forth every time, upgrading the size of the line, eventually to a cable. And eventually, it was the beginning of what would become a suspension bridge that took about four years to build. But when it was built, it lasted almost 50 years and provided an unbelievable transportation opportunity for New York and Ontario. That bridge lasted until just before the turn of the century. But what was really cool about it is this. Not only was that bridge a walking bridge, but it was also a bridge you could take a horse-drawn carriage across on the bottom level. On the top level, they put a train track. The impossible bridge actually was possible. Why? Because Roebling saw what nobody else saw. And, I believe, because he was gifted with what nobody else was gifted with. He was gifted with the ability to do something brand new in the bridge building industry. By the way, a little fact, he also has part of the Golden Gate Bridge as his design and the Brooklyn Bridge he built and a number of large bridges across the country. Roebling was the guy who built them or his company was the, guy, was the one who built them. But do you know when it comes to building bridges in the kingdom of God, you have everything you need to build. Let me tell you what it is. It's not your ability to sing, and it's not your ability to preach, and it's not your ability to talk to people. You know what, you know what your ability is? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, God has given inside of you His Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit are those things. And it's the fruit of the Spirit that in any given situation can build a bridge between opposing and warring parties. Think about this. If you've got opposing parties, would a little bit of love in that make a difference? Would a little bit of joy make a difference? Would a little bit of peace make a difference? What about patience? What about self-control? So you've got all these things that you bring to the table that enter into the room when you enter into the room. Here's the point. Don't miss it. Everywhere you go, wherever God sends you, when you walk into the room, you literally are a bridge builder and all you have to do is let what God has already put inside you come out. You walking in the room simply changes the room if you are filled with God's Spirit. And you don't have to worry about what to say. Because the Bible says that God will take care of that too. I had a... Multiple times I've had to have conversations that were hard. And I was always kind of almost chicken out. And I realized, you know what? I just got to be present. I just got to get there and start. The final thing Jesus talks about here is he talks about the cost. You can expect 
antagonism. You can expect people to sabotage. You can recognize that you're not going to build every bridge you want to build. But you can also recognize that you are a person of peace in the life of people if you will simply be faithful to what God has called you to do and where God has called you to do it. Amen? The greatest bridge builder on the planet. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. There is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. For you and for me, there was a great chasm between God and us. And that chasm was built because of sin. And Jesus Christ built a bridge between you and God. He's the great mediator. And he said, there's no other way to the Father but through me. When he stretched out his arms on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago, what he was saying was, I'm building a bridge Trust me. But you know what? So many times what we want to do is what I did about four weeks ago. We were driving back from Colorado. We came across Interstate 20. We were coming up to the Louisiana-Mississippi line. There's one bridge to cross the Mississippi River for like a couple hundred miles. And it happens to be right there in Vicksburg. You happen to just drive straight across it on the interstate. But guess what? There was a wreck and it, just, it messed up the bridge. So they shut the bridge down. We got almost to the bridge when we realized we're not going to make it across. So I took out my map and I said, you know what? There's got to be another way. And sure enough, on the map, it showed that if I simply went around and went north and then went down parallel to the interstate, then came back down, there's an old Vicksburg bridge that we could go across. So we spent about four hours doing that because I didn't want to spend four hours going all the way down to Hattiesburg or going all the way down to Macomb, Mississippi, because that was a long way around. And guess what? We wound up going all the way to the end where we thought the bridge was, and we realized that bridge is out too. It took almost six hours to get back on track, and we were supposed to be here at 10 p.m. We wound up being 5 a.m., all because there was a bridge that was out. Ironically enough, if we step back just three hours from the beginning of that whole disaster, we look at our digital direction ways. God save the queen. Great, great. And it said to go a different route than we wanted to go all along. And you know what? That's not the way we go. This is a better way. See, the map was telling us not to go the way we were going, but we knew better than the map until we got to the, until we got to the backup and realized we don't know better than the map. There's only one way to the Father, and the map clearly tells us that. You can try going across some other way, but it's not going to work. Do what I didn't do. And go ahead and yield to God now. Do what the map says. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? We're going to have just a time of reflection, a time of invitation, an opportunity for you and for me to really think about what God might have said to us today.
First off, ask yourself the question, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If you're watching by, by, by social media, you've hung on this long because, because God has kept you on this long. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? He is the only way. Today, if you will turn to him, say, God, I know that I'm broken. I know I'm a sinner. And I know that my life is a mess without you. I place my faith in you. I believe, Jesus, you died and you were buried and you rose again. I ask you to save me, to forgive me. Create in me something new. This morning, if you're a wall builder and not a bridge builder, I want to invite you to just repent and say to God, God, change my heart. Help me to live who you've called me to be. This morning, if you need a bridge, ask God to help you see the way that he's making for you. And then be patient and let him work. Lord God, this is uh, your day. God, I pray that you would erase any words that I said. And I pray that you would let us hear only what it is that you want us to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about Sword Point Church at